Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. This is a story I can only tell about once every three or four years because the psychological ramifications of it still haunt me. But I had not been in Kiowa very long. I was a, you know, I was the new guy that was crazy dude that moved up from Texas to start a cowboy ministry. And I was going to eat breakfast one morning at Patty Ann's for y'all that are not local, just the little local cafe like every small town has. And um, I had parked next to, on the Who Motor side, there's a, there's a uh, uh, car dealership on, on, uh, right across the street from Patty Ann's. And I got out of my truck. And as soon as I got out of my truck, there, there was a lady that had pulled up on Patty Ann's side and she got out of her car and she looks over at me and she goes, hey. And I went, hey. I, I don't know who she is. She had like her ball cap pulled down and these big old sunglasses, right? You know, I had no idea who this was. But I you know, tried to be cool, hey. She's like, you got to come see my baby. And I'm like, I don't even know you. But, you know, I, what do you do, right? You're like, okay. So I, I kind of start walking over there. She goes around her car and she opens up the back door. And, and really, she's kind of parked right in front of, uh, there's a real estate place right next to Patty Ann's. And she was kind of parked right in front of it. And so anyway, I walked over there and, you know, I, I don't want to get, you know, I don't know if she's going to say, look at my baby in the car seat or I'm going to get my baby out and show you my baby. So I don't really know where to stand. Kind of that awkward, I don't want to get too close, but I don't want to be too far. I don't really know what to do. So I'm standing there and all of a sudden this lady, she's, she's getting her baby and she starts looking at me like, who is this creep? And so I'm starting to get real confused, right? I'm like, what is going on? And so finally she gets her baby out. She like protects it, right? Like that. And I realized that she was talking to the guys at Who Motors, not me. <laughs> I'm standing there like a freaking stalker, right? Let me see your baby. <laughs> so I did what any cowboy would do. I turned around like I was looking for a house. <laughs> One of the worst days of my life. Every single week, I am sick of it. One of y'all accuses me of being a stalker. Every week I get done, I come off stage and one of you says, were you following me around this week? Because everything you just got through saying is exactly what was going on. Were you following me? Look, I'm not a stalker, okay? I don't know what you're going through. I know what I'm going through. I know some of what Ty's going through because he's my buddy. I know some of what Brett's going through and I know some of what Mitch is going through and Jason and Steven, but the rest of you, I don't know. But you know what? We're all going through the same things. And although I have not been stalking you, it will feel like it by the end of this message. We are finally finishing up a series called The Peacemakers, okay? The Peacemakers. In week one, we talked about how a peacemaker is somebody that knows when to start a fight, okay? Peacemakers know when to pick a fight for only reasons of ensuring 
peace. We use the illustration of, of Tombstone and, you know, Doc Holliday and Wyatt, Wyatt Earp and Virgil and Morgan, you know, walking down because the cowboys were breaking the law. They went to pick a fight to ensure peace, right? That's kind of what we've been talking about. And the Bible talks a lot about peacemakers, not peacekeepers. A peacemaker is somebody who knows when to pick a fight to ensure peace and unity. That's the only goal. Now, somebody goes and picks a fight because they're offended. Somebody that goes and picks a fight because they're mad. See, those are bullies. Those are not peacemakers, okay? A peacemaker knows when to pick a fight to ensure peace. But a peacekeeper will avoid a fight to pretend that there is peace. And the Bible does not tell us to be peacekeepers, to avoid conflict, to act like everything's okay. That has gotten churches in more trouble than anything else. And if you want to get in trouble in this fellowship, be somebody that, 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 that causes dissension. If you don't run yourself off, I'll hit you with a long yellow hot shot on the way out. Okay? I ain't afraid to use one. But the biggest fight we must pick is inside of us. We need to have a reckoning with ourselves. That, that we need to start doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to start doing what we're supposed to be doing. In the second week, we talked about how wisdom and purity is the foundation of peacemakers. Wisdom and purity. Now, if you weren't here the last two weeks, you know, we've got, a, we've got a, 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 an app on your, on your smart aleck phones that you can listen to previous sermons. You can go to our website. You can go on Facebook. There's no reason you can't go back and listen to Peacemakers Part 1 and Part 2. And today, we will finish up by looking at the seven characteristics of authentic peacemaking. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And we're going to look quickly at all of these seven characteristics uh, of peacemakers, okay? And the very first one, James is the half-brother of Jesus, was not a believer until after Jesus died, but he becomes a head of the Jerusalem church. And I love James because he had to have been a cowboy because he pulls no punches and he uses both. He, he's like Doc Holliday on a scattergun, okay? When James walks in, he tells you the truth. There ain't no ifs, ands, or buts. Nobody ever has to say, well, what was he meaning? He, he's pretty blunt, okay? But let's talk about this. Peace-loving, peace-loving. What does that mean? Peace-loving means peace-practicing, okay? Look, man, you're, you're not gonna practice something that you don't love, and you're not gonna love on something that you don't practice, okay? See, a, a lot of people think that just because they did it one time, they've been there, got the T-shirt type thing, that, that doesn't apply to this, man. We, if, if we're going to be peacemakers, we have to be peace-loving. That means we need to practice peace all the time, not just when it's convenient, because you, you go ask anybody in ministry, anybody that helps out set up chairs, tear down, helps out on the ranch, helps out in the ministry, blah, blah, blah. You ask them, is ministry convenient? Absolutely not. It's always inconvenient but we still have to practice it. But how do we do that? It sounds good, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I'm gonna practice peace. Where do you start? I don't know, I have no idea. Well, guess what? I have put together a handy dandy peacemakers toolkit that I am going to share with you some very practical ideas on how you can practice being a peacemaker. The very first one is in our peacemakers toolkit that everybody needs to have is 
We need duct tape to keep our mouths shut. If you want to practice peacemaking, this handy-dandy little tool right here will help you in your cause. It is a great tool for keeping your mouth shut because if you want to practice peace, that is the number one thing that all of us have to learn how to do is keep our mouths shut, okay? There is scientific evidence. There's scientific evidence to back up this statement. You will not blow up if you don't say something. You will not blow up if you keep your mouth shut. I know that your temperature and your temper is redlining, but you will not explode if you keep your mouth shut. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it feels like you're going to splatter guts and maybe a little bit of brains all over the wall, but you won't. I mean, we, we need to practice peace, and the best way to practice it is to keep your mouth shut. And if you have to, duct tape that orifice closed. It's also great with weight loss. I mean, it'll work. There's many, many different uses, okay? One of the other great uses is it is great for taking a piece about this long and wrap it around four fingers because a lot of you don't say anything, but when you get mad, three of your fingers fall down. (laughs) It will not happen. It's It's a great multi-purpose tool right here. Great multi-purpose tool for practicing peace. The second thing that James says of a characteristic of a peacemaker is to be gentle at all times. You know, it is easy to be gentle at all times when we realize that people are not pointing their avocados at us. Now, a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about, but there was a great article written I don't know how long ago, but it was about a lady that had taken her kids. Everybody taking little kids to the mall before? That is a cowboy wreck if I've ever seen one, okay? So she had taken her two little old kids to the mall and, you know, it would have probably been easier gathering wild cattle and cactus and roping them than taking two little old kids to the mall. But she decides to take them to the food court, Right. And she sits them down and, you know, the, the kids are going crazy. They got their chicken nuggets and the ketchup. And, you know, the one kid's finger painting with the ketchup on the table. And, you know, the one girl's got her arm through the neck hole of her shirt, you know. And, and mom is just fit to be tied, right? And then she sees this other mom walk up with her little girl. It's in a nice little pink dress or something like that. Her hair is all done. Everything looks so nice. She grabs a high chair. She puts it there and pulls out a custom high chair cover and puts it over the high chair. And then she takes her daughter and puts her daughter in the high chair and the daughter just sits there smiling. And her kids are like, you know, throwing chicken nuggets and you get back here, come here. And this little girl is just sitting there. And then the mom pulls out an avocado and starts cutting it. And the lady says, and I swear she was pointing her avocado right at me. Of course she wasn't. But see, it's easier to be gentle when we realize that what people do around us and say to us really has nothing to do with us. People are just doing the best that they can and you never know why people do stuff. I mean, 99% of everything that happens around us, when, when people say stuff to you or cut you off in traffic or cut you off in the Brandon pen, 
you don't know what's going on inside of them. And nobody is pointing their avocado at you, okay? Seriously, they're not pointing their avocado at you, okay? Yeah, maybe they cut you off. They may need to poop. You don't know. Okay, seriously, you've been there. You know what I mean. We got to learn to give people a break. We got to be gentle, all right? Quit taking things so personally. I know it's hard, but still. The next thing that James talks about is we've got to be willing to yield to others. Willing to yield to others. Anybody in here a competitor? Who in here likes to lose? Oh, nobody, huh? <laughs> my wife, when my son got old enough to start playing video games, I'd play with him and I'd just destroy him. She'd be like, he's three years old. I'm like, you got to learn sometime. I will beat you down, kid. I'll beat you down. Start playing cards. No mercy. No mercy. I don't like to lose. Can't you just give them a break? They ain't going to learn nothing by getting no break. You don't get better. And now that my son's older, he still plays video games and I don't, I won't play with him anymore because he's ruthless. I don't know where he gets it. He won't let me have a stinking chance, but we got to be willing to yield to others. Well, yielding to others means in the biblical sense, something strange because yielding to others, you'll get a buckle because willing to yield to others means God wants you to be great. Now, wait a minute. How does being humble and submissive mean being great? Follow with me for just a second. The disciples are arguing at the Last Supper, okay? This is the Last Supper. Jesus is fixing to be betrayed, okay? He's fixing to be betrayed, and the next morning, he's going to be nailed to a cross. And at the Last Supper, all of his cowboys are arguing over which one was the greatest, right? Which one was the greatest? Now, does he put a stop to the arguing over who's going to be the greatest? Does he say, y'all don't need to be acting like you're great. No, y'all, y'all, don't, need to be, y'all don't need to be having no competition about which one of you is greatest. Jesus doesn't say that. You know what he says? The greatest among you will be the servants. He doesn't put a stop to wanting to be great. He doesn't put a stop to being competitive. He says the greatest among you will be the servants. In, 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 in a previous, before the Last Supper, he actually said one time that the last would be first and the first should be last. He says, I want you to be first, but if you're going to be first, you got to put yourself last. See, God doesn't tell us that we shouldn't be great. He just changes the definition of it. He just changes the definition. He wants you to be great. He absolutely does. But he wants you to be great in kingdom ways, not worldly ways. You know... Jesus never said we couldn't be great. I believe he commanded it. Jesus never said we couldn't be great. He just changed the definition of it. And you know what? If you've been a Christian for too long, or maybe you've said this about Christians, you've heard it. Well, y'all just think you're better than everybody else. You're dadgum right. I do. I actually, I'll call everybody out right now. I want you to be better than everybody else. As a matter of fact, I think God commands you to be better than everybody else. Better at loving. I think you should be better at being kind. I think you should be better than everybody else at showing mercy. I think you should be better than everybody else at helping those that are less fortunate. I think you should be better than everybody else for standing up for the truth. 
I think you should be better than everybody else at defending the weak. I think you should be better than everybody else of knowing what's truly important in this life. And I think that you should be a better husband, a better wife, and and maybe in a better relationship than everybody else. Not so that we can be above somebody and lord it over them, but so that we can point people towards that narrow gate. Yes, you should be better than everybody else. And that is the problem with the churches today is they they quit trying to be better than everybody else or they were being better in other ways. But Christ commanded us to be the best. Wasn't he better than us? Yes, yet he called us to be Christ-like. Man, take that competitive spirit and be the best at those things. That is willing to yield to each other. That is humility. It's when you become the best that you absolutely can be and use it for the benefit of somebody else. Yes, I want you to be better than everybody else. I want you to be better than me. And if we had churches full of people that were willing to be the best at living the Christian life, we would change the world. But you know what? We don't need churches full of it. We need you to be that, just you. Not waiting on to see what everybody else is gonna do. We need you to be the best. I want me to be the absolute best at all of those things. Be the best that I can be for the glory of God. The next thing that James talks about is we must be full of mercy, full of mercy. And in my handy-dandy toolkit right here, this one's always the hardest one. We may not have anything. Uh, Hang on. Is it? I found it. It was wrapped up in another one. Yes, this is my Merce. Full of mercy. Keychain. The key ingredient to mercy, to being full of mercy, is the godly quality of forgiveness. You cannot be merciful without forgiveness. Anybody can hate. Anybody. The strongest thing a weak man can do is hold a grudge. And the strongest out there are the ones that can forgive. Jesus was being nailed to a cross. And what was his words? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, when we do not show mercy, we lock ourselves in a prison of hate. We hurt ourselves. How in the world can we go out into the world and make disciples of all men and all nations when through not showing somebody mercy by harboring hate and unforgiveness and we lock ourselves in a prison, we make ourselves ineffective. You can't go out into the world and be who you were supposed to be when you were locked in a cage of unforgiveness, of being unmerciful. You want to be a peacemaker? You really want to be a peacemaker? You got to be full of mercy. You got to be willing to yield to others. You got to be gentle at all times. And you've got to be peace loving if you want to be a peacemaker. You want to be a difference maker. You want to become all that you can be. You got to do these things. And you got to practice them. They're not going to just come naturally. Yeah, I want to do that. I'm a good roper now. I'm going to go to NFR. It doesn't happen like that. The next one James talks about is the uh, fruit of good deeds. A good deed is something that you cannot be paid back for. 
That's what a good deed is. Now, we, we do not do good deeds in order that we might get into heaven. We're not saved by works. We don't do things that God loves us better. We do good things to show others the love that God has shown us and what we need in our handy dandy little toolkit is some band-aids because what we need, what we really need is more calloused hands because Christianity right now, you know what it's got? The idea of being a Christian is going to church every Sunday. Well, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I go to church every Sunday and I believe in God. That, that, that we've lost our way. Yeah. That, 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 that's like a, that's like a, uh, all hat, no cattle, or, you know, I, man, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. We got to do something. You know what a cowboy is? Cowboy is, cow, is somebody does cowboy stuff. Okay. And, and I'm not saying that you have to have a horse and cattle and all that. You, you've got to hold to the, to the traditions and the honor and, and, and what a cowboy hat stands for. If you don't have the opportunity, we got too many soft-handed people in churches across America. We need people with calloused hands from doing all the good deeds we should be doing. You know, I, I, I hate the art that you see that, that paints Jesus as this like, you know, monastery monk, all soft and loving and might I dare say even sometimes a little feminine looking. No, Jesus was a carpenter. He's a worker. Man, when you walked up, shook his hand, it's probably like grabbing the rough end of a rasp. You know, I mean, he helped people. He didn't just talk it, he walked it. And he didn't do things, nobody could pay him back. He did it because he loved them. We gotta get our hands dirty. We gotta do something great for someone that can't pay us back. And we wouldn't let them if they could. That's not why we do things. You know, this limp fish, lotiony hands Christianity is gonna make me throw up. Got a little vomit in my mouth right now just thinking about it. I don't wanna be one of those. I don't wanna be one of those. I wanna be somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to love on some people. The next one, James says that they show no favoritism. Here's a question. Would you show a janitor the same respect that you show your favorite movie star? No favoritism. I brought this wild rag because it kind of looks like a blindfold. We should treat everybody the same as if we were blindfolded. You know, Jake, my son, sitting right back there by the camera, he's blind. He's never been able to see. And what a glorious gift that is because I guarantee you, my son may be the only person in this room that'll never judge you by what you look like. And somehow we call that a disability. I think we're the ones with the disability because we judge everybody by what shape they are, what they look like, how big they are, how small they are, what they have on. Jake don't care about all that. He cares if you're nice to him. Do you treat people like that? Probably not because I don't either. I'm just as guilty as everybody else. But the Bible says that we're to show no favoritism, that we should treat the janitor the same way as we treat a movie star, a politician. We shouldn't give anybody a break for one thing, or we shouldn't hold somebody to a different level of accountability that we wouldn't hold ourselves. Being peacemakers. And the last one is always sincere. Always sincere. You know what sincere means? Sincere means keeping your word. And you know who's kept their word better than anybody else is God. He wrote a book full of his promises. And that book isn't written for me, it's written for you. 
There's so many great and wonderful promises in this Bible that you could study it for the rest of your life and, and, and probably not be able to grasp even this much of how much God loves you. This is a love letter written from God to us. And there's lots of hard stuff in there. There's a lot of it when God was being a peacemaker. And sometimes he had to pick a fight to ensure that his people would last. And maybe we don't understand all of it, but it's still, God keeps his word. God will never crawfish on a promise that he makes. He'll keep his word. And you know what? He expects you to do the same, to keep your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. You make a promise, keep it. I guarantee you start keeping your promises. You'll quit making as many of them, I guarantee you. Our life is in stark contrast to the life that the world leads. You will be different if you start being a peacemaker. When you start working on yourself first, you got to work on yourself first. You can't just walk out here. I'm going to make a peacemaker, man. Okay, Corral, here we come. Doc Holliday on the scattergun. Uh-uh. You've got a showdown, but that showdown is with that person that, that brushes your teeth in the mornings. And I hope that's you, but... That's, that's, a different, that's a different deal. See, God was sincere in his promise to give you eternal life, to give you an inheritance as a son or daughter of God. And there, and he was sincere when he made his promise to always be with you and to never forsake you. And God keeps his word. He's sincere. God was sincere in his promise to you. My question is, are you sincere in your promise to him. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, create an army of peacemakers in this world. Many people have heard what you have to say. They they heard your message today. So no one can say, "I, I didn't know. The only goal of a peacemaker is to ensure peace and unity and fellowship and well-being with those that we are commanded to love. Peacemakers are not wolves, but guard dogs. The wolves have led the church and prayed on it for way too long. It's time for the guard dogs to step up and help the church become great again. Let us be last and everyone else first as we point the way to the narrow gate through the lives that we lead. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.